Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, we are beginning a new series this morning, and as we do, we are kicking it off by addressing two of the most basic questions that every human being seeks to answer, whether they know it or not, whether they can articulate it or not, or, or really even frame it in their own understanding. These are two questions every person seeks to answer. The first question is this, who am I? Who am I? What's, what's my identity? What's, what's my meaning and relationship and who am I? And the second question is this, why am I here? What's my purpose? And if you go back to the first question, it really is a search for identity. We all need an identity. What makes me different? What makes me special? What makes me valuable? What's my identity? And people look for identity in a lot of different areas of life. Uh, early on, especially in life, people kind of base their identity on their appearance, and they put a lot of time and attention and energy into their appearance, how they dress and hairstyles and all that sort of thing. And, and they think other people think of them. They base their identity in their appearance. Or it may be they base their identity in their talents or abilities or intelligence. And they define themselves based on those special abilities in their lives. And maybe they will base it on their popularity, what they perceive that people think of them and, and how they are viewed by others and their sense of worth, their sense of value they base on what other people think of them or they think other people think of them. Or later in life, maybe it's about their finances or their position or their authority in some company or structure of some kind. People look for identity in a lot of different places, but all of those things are temporary. All of those things are unstable. All of those things pass away. And today we're going to look at a different and far better basis for one's identity. If, if you're here today in the worship center or you're watching online or you're listening later on to the podcast uh, and you are not yet a Christ follower, there's never been a time that you believed in Christ not just with your mind but with your heart and you committed to become his follower and you testified of that in believer's baptism and you began a journey of faith and following him. If you've never become a Christ follower, what we're going to talk about today is what Christ is calling each of us to and what he's offering you if you will take that first step of faith. But for most of us who are here in the room watching online or listening to a podcast, you're already a Christ follower. You can point back to a time in which you put your faith and trust in Christ and you began that faith journey of following him with your baptism. And perhaps for some of you, it has uh, lasted for many years up until this day, you know you're a Christ follower. And so we're going to talk about, as a Christ follower, what Scripture calls us to. Now, when we talk about identity, there are several different New Testament images of Christ followers. 
that the authors of Scripture use to describe us. So here's some of the New Testament images of being a Christ follower. You are a son or daughter of God. You're a, a child of the King. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are by faith adopted into the family of God. Not because you deserve it or I deserved it. Uh, it was by His grace that He adopted us into His family and we are now His son or daughter. Another image the, the Scripture uses in the New Testament is the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom, and we individually as Christ followers and collectively as the church worldwide are the, the bride of Christ. And he uses that image of marriage to describe the, the, the unity and the bond and the relationship we have with the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. Well, here's another image that Scripture uses. You are a soldier in the Lord's army a soldier in the Lord's army. Uh, the scripture talks about uh, the armor of God. The scripture talks about weapons of spiritual warfare that are at our disposal as his followers. And if you've heard me uh, preach before, you may have heard me say, when you come to faith in Christ, you're not joining a country club, you're enlisting in an army. And there's a big difference between uh, the two. You're a soldier in the Lord's army. But there's yet another image that we find in Scripture that's going to be the one that we unpack all through this series in the month of July. If you are a Christ follower, you are an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador for Christ. And so the title of our series for the month of July is Ambassadors in a Foreign Land. Now, we understand that we are, uh, we are residents, we are citizens of the United States. And I've already said, I believe, and I think you believe, this is the greatest nation in the history of the world. Because of our freedoms, because of our heritage, we, we are citizens uh, in this land. But in a, in a greater sense, in an eternal sense, we are citizens of another land. Pardon. Anybody else bothered by allergies these days? Wow. <clears throat> we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and that, that citizenship is deeper and it's eternal. And so, as we look today to start the series of, of, of the kind of side-by-side -side realities for us where we are citizens of the United States here on earth, but eternally we are citizens of the kingdom of God, how do we manage this, this duality, this tension? How do we manage the challenges of dual citizenship? And so we're going to look uh, at a story from the Old Testament in a moment uh, to see how some, some men a long, long time ago managed that reality in a way that glorified God. So as we start off on this series, I think it would be helpful to have a definition of what an ambassador is. <clears throat> I think we all know in general terms, but what's a good definition? I came across a few, but I like this one. An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative 
to a foreign country. Now just hear that again. An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. And that's important for us to understand because if we understand who we are, then we can understand why we are here. We can understand our purpose. And as we understand our purpose, flows a life with meaning, flows a, a, a life with stability, flows a, a life that, that has direction. And that's what we need as Christ followers. Or let me put it this way in this statement. You were placed, if you're a Christ follower, you were placed on this earth to bring God glory and to make him and his kingdom known. That's why you're here. That's why God placed you and me on planet earth as his followers. We are his representatives, his ambassadors. The apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave, don't miss this, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And so I, I want to try to impress upon us today and in the weeks that follow that there is a danger if a, a Christ follower who is an ambassador for Christ and for the, the homeland, the kingdom of God, makes himself or herself too much at home in this foreign land in which we live. We are here to represent Christ. And so our big idea for today is simply this. We live in a land that is not our, at least, ultimate home. We are here to represent Christ. And so we're going to see how that worked out from an Old Testament story in Daniel chapter 1. So if you have your copy of the scripture today, uh, either on your phone or a printed copy, uh, open it to Daniel chapter 1, and we'll be looking at a story in that chapter of the Old Testament. Uh, it's a story of four men, actually, who were taken captive by the king and his army of a foreign land and brought to live in that foreign nation. And they lived there for years, but they never forgot their true home. They never forgot to whom they owed their allegiance and their loyalty, that it was to their king, their God, and their homeland. Uh, the four men we know uh, by these names, though you'll see in the passage they're each given an alternate name, but we know them most commonly as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we'll see Daniel as the central figure in the story. So, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, walk through the scripture with me. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, we don't use besiege very much as a common conversational word, but it means he and his army attacked the nation of Judah. 
It conquered the nation of Judah. It ransacked and pillaged the nation of Judah and took not only the, the valuables, the things of the nation, but took some of the most valuable people of the nation, especially the most gifted young adults they could find. And that'll be significant in the story. Verse 2, the Lord gave him, meaning Nebuchadnezzar, victory over Jehoiakim of Judah, and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects of the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God, little G. <clears throat> now there's something here I want you to notice that could escape our attention. It says there in verse 2, the Lord gave him, Nebuchadnezzar, victory. The Lord gave him victory. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a man who did not worship God. He did not know God. He had no allegiance to the true and living God. And yet, God used him specifically for his purpose. Nebuchadnezzar, who thought he was the most powerful man on earth, was really only a pawn in the hands of our sovereign God. And here's why I think that's significant for us today. It bothers us when we believe that there are people in places of power and authority in our nation and in our culture, does it not? It bothers us that they seem not to know God or worship God or care about what's right before God. And we worry that these people are in power. Yet what I want us to, to draw the parallel from this story is that they don't know it, but they are pawns in the hands of a sovereign God. And that God does what he chooses through whomever he chooses, even people who do not know him. So see how the story unfolds, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. And then these instructions. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was saying to his chief of staff, find the very best of the best. And then train them, equip them, indoctrinate them, turn them into Babylonians so that they'll be just like us, so that they can serve me as king. And he did just that. He could fill their minds with Babylonian history and knowledge and worldview, but he could not change their hearts. And their hearts were loyal to God. By the way, I find it interesting. There's no record of resistance here on their part to the Babylonian training and indoctrination and education. And I think it was because they understood that if they were going to serve in Babylon, if they were going to represent their God in Babylon, they would have to understand the people and the culture and the society of Babylon. And they learned a lot during those years of training, but it did not change their identity. Verse 5. 
The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. I'm glad we call him Daniel. That's a lot easier to pronounce for me. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. So get the picture. There they were in a foreign land far from home being immersed in this foreign culture, not understanding why they were there, but willing to be faithful and trust in God. And so here's an application point I want to make. Our God will place Christ followers in different situations for different reasons, but it is never, hear me, it is never by accident. Our God doesn't make accidents. Our God has a purpose for everything he does and everything he allows. And so if you find yourself in a strange and uncomfortable and difficult situation, don't think you're just a victim of bad luck. There is no such thing as luck in the hands of a sovereign God. If you're his follower, he places us where we find ourselves for his purpose. Or let me put it this way. God places his ambassadors in specific places at specific times for specific purposes. It is never random. It is never by accident. And so while we find ourselves today in a different culture than the one that many of us grew up in, in a different country that is changing every day, we are never to abandon or compromise the, the values and the truth of our king and our homeland. While we want to connect to, we want to relate to, we want to to befriend those in the foreign culture, we must not surrender the basic values and truth of the, the culture that we owe the greatest allegiance to, and that is the kingdom of God. There are times in which with grace but with conviction, we must draw a line and say, I can't go there because it would betray my king and my country. Uh, for Daniel and these young Jewish men uh, who were steeped in Old Testament Judaism and its dietary restrictions, for them in this setting, that line in the sand was their dietary uh, laws, uh, the diets that, that were being given to them. So see how it plays out. Verse 8, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He knew this was something that would be disobedient and dishonoring to his God. So what could he do? He's not in authority. He's in captivity. What can he do to try to live out this conviction? We'll continue in verse 8. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. 
Now here's what I want you to see. He didn't walk up to this, this man who did not know his God, who had no allegiance uh, to, to Daniel's faith. He didn't walk up and shake his fist uh, in the man's face and say, I'm not going to do that. You can't make me do that. And begin to, to be arrogant and, and combative. Uh, he, he instead did what a good ambassador does. He used diplomacy wherever possible. He didn't treat him as an enemy to be conquered. He treated him as a friend to be won over, to seek to influence, not to overpower. And how'd that work for him? Well, look at verse 9. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But this man was in a tight spot. Read on, verse 10. But he responded, I'm afraid of the Lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. <clears throat> Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Now, here's what I want you to understand. He didn't belittle the dietary habits and, and rules of the Babylonians. He didn't rant and rave about what vile pagans and how foolish they were. Instead, he spoke to him with respect, and he just said, try my God out. Try it and see if this doesn't work. In other words, he sought to win him over, to influence him, to let God prove that his way was better. And so verse 14, the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. You see, this is what an ambassador does. The, an ambassador understands the culture of the foreign nation, but he never becomes conformed to it. He finds a way to live in that foreign land as much as possible at peace with those who live there in order to seek to win them to faith in our God. The Apostle Paul said that. He said in 2 Corinthians, I, I've tried to find common ground with everyone, no matter who they are and what their issues are. I try to find common ground, not to overpower them, but to build a bridge of grace to try to seek to share faith with them. Daniel understood that the wise way to act as an ambassador was not to condemn and criticize, but to show that our God has a better way. And it was, verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. You see what happened? He won him over. He won over this Babylonian attendant and his boss, the chief of staff, with wise words and this, with wise actions. He represented his king and his God well. And that opened the door for him to do far more for the kingdom of God.
You see, here's the reality, and this is one that we need to apply. An ambassador never forgets that everything they say or do reflects on their king and country. Everything, we, every attitude we display, every word that we say, every action that we take is not just about us. It reflects on our king. And that's why we as ambassadors must be careful the attitudes that we exhibit. We need to be careful about the words that we say. We need to be careful about the actions that we take. We need to be careful, here I go, what we post on social media so that we're not trying to show the world how right we are and how superior. Even if we are right, what's the point if we tear down a potential bridge to somebody who needs Christ? Why fight battles that that will never win. You will never convince an unbeliever of what the, the truth of some issue is until they come to know Jesus. Our goal is to represent Christ and to lead them to Christ. Can, can you imagine if, if that person who went to talk to that imam had gone into his home and began to rant and rave about how, how demonic Muslims are and how evil the Quran is and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that man would have ever been one to Jesus? We need to build bridges of grace so that like Daniel in this story, we win the respect and the admiration of those who may not yet know our God, but they know us and see something that would make them want to listen to what we would share about Jesus. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends, did I say that already? I did, okay. Sorry about that. I got so carried away, I got away from my notes. Here we go. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now watch this. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Do you see that? Because they were gracious and faithful ambassadors, God opened a door for further influence. Verse 20, whenever the king consulted them in any matter concern, requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. And if you know the story of Daniel, you know that Daniel was not trying to climb the ladder of success in that kingdom for his own benefit. He was being faithful to God. And God used it to win over the king and do great things. I pray that we would be faithful ambassadors in the foreign land in which God has placed us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to understand that while we are citizens 
of the great nation of the United States, and we give thanks today for our liberties and freedoms that allow us to worship together, to speak the truth of the gospel, to live for Christ without fear of persecution or oppression. Help us to realize that we are only visiting here. As the old gospel song says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And Lord, as we're passing through, we are your representatives, your ambassadors. Help us not to live for self, but to live for you and to be faithful to say and do that which would win over those who do not yet know you. So like that imam in the incredible testimony that we heard from Nick earlier, they could come to faith in Christ and know the truth because we were faithful. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great 4th of July, everybody. <laughs>